Hello, welcome to our Early Education PedPod. I'm Cathy Gunning, Pedagogic Lead, and today I'm talking with Julie Fisher. This PedPod is in two parts, and this is the second part, where Julie talks about the adult role, listening and the child versus adult-led agenda, time for interactions and conversation, reception and the Early Years Foundation stage. You join us at the end of a training day where Julie's been sharing her insightful and extensive knowledge and research. We're meeting in a large training room in a London nursery school, which is why you can hear children in the background. You've written and you've talked powerfully about um, the role of the adult um, and in front of me I've got your interacting or interfering book that you've written and the ability for us as teachers and practitioners and leaders to engage, relate, communicate, connect, you've been talking about that just now, and, and listen with, with young children and early learners. Can you tell us about what you believe are the most important aspects of the adult and the adult role? That's a huge question. Isn't <laughs> I, think, I think the first thing is that you have to like children, and you have to like young children. And I don't say that glibly. Mm. I have worked mm. alongside and I have observed people who palpably would rather be somewhere else and certainly don't enjoy that flexible role that we were just talking about. So they want something more predictable. Yeah. And the glorious yeah. thing about working yeah. with young children is their unpredictability, yeah. Yeah. is their idiosyncratic yeah. ways of learning. And there are people who find that fascinating mm-hmm. and there are people who find that annoying. So annoying people need to go somewhere else, either in higher up the school or they need to go into a job that's more predictable. So the first thing, absolutely I would say, is that you need to find children fascinating. Because if you don't, working in the ways that the best and most effective educators do is too hard. See, it's very simple to sit everybody on a carpet, have a file in front of you, teach what's in that file and then hope everybody gets it. It's much more straightforward, it's much more secure for you perhaps as as an educator. But for the child it doesn't work. But for the child there is not sufficient understanding of the differentiation necessarily, the scaffolding needed for these individuals that we're faced with. Mm. So the first thing has Mm. to be being fascinated by children. Mm. Mm. Then you have to take the time to know your children well. You need to know them, you need to know their families, you need to know their communities. Not just to build relationships, although that's critical, but to understand some of the hooks that you can hang the learning on. So when you know about the experiences children have maybe at the weekends, when you know about the family pets or the members of a child's family, when you can talk to them about that, you're already making links between you and them. They already feel you're interested in them. You know something about them, and that means something to a young child. And if you have conversations with parents or grandparents or who carers, whoever comes with the child, and you know about things that they've done in their holidays or after school, you can hook that into the conversations that you have. You can say, I I hear that you were really fascinated Mm. when you went to that museum and you saw. 
And even if it's not on your plan, that hook maybe could lead this child towards some number work, some writing, some discussion, some scientific investigation. That would be equally important, equally effective, equally useful for them. So taking time to understand that knowing children gives you starting points for learning as well as important points for relationships sure. really yeah. matters. Yeah. Understanding that environments can get in the way uh -huh. of talk. So if they're mm -hmm. too busy, too noisy, too active in a strange sort of way, and I mean by that physically active, means that sometimes there isn't the space and the calm that some children need in order to have a conversation. But part of knowing children yeah. well is yeah. knowing where they're likely to have those conversations. Yeah. So for some children, yeah. it will be in the den. Yeah. For some children, it will be in a home corner. Yeah. For some children, it will be in between racing around on the bikes. And you need to be where they want to have those conversations. It doesn't mean, again, that they won't have them in some more controlled mm -hmm. environments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some places where mm -hmm. you instigate the conversation. But my research shows that most children will talk for longer and with more passion and more commitment when they have instigated what it is they talk about. So you need to know, are these children who will talk when they're having a rest? Are these children who will talk when they're in character because then they're happier yeah. to instigate yeah. something, being somebody different? Yeah. Are these children who will talk better when you're not looking directly at them? A bit like your mm -hmm. teenage mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. Because you're not looking, and and when they're yeah. side by yeah. side, yeah. and when you're yeah. both perhaps engaged yeah. in some doe play. Yeah. So knowing yeah. your children well helps you to design an environment that says, is there somewhere here for every child yes. to instigate yeah. talking to adults, yeah. even those who aren't confident, and even those who don't come with all those language skills mm -hmm. we talked about mm -hmm. before. Then I think, and this is important, particularly the older up the mm -hmm. age range we go, mm -hmm. do you stay a listener rather than a talker? All our research, whether we were in nursery early years, but particularly in key stage one and two, showed that the more prescriptive the adult-led agenda became, the more the adult needed to talk to keep the children focused on that agenda. And we don't need the practice. It's our children that need the practice. And in order for them to practice speaking, we have to palpably be people who want to listen. Yeah. Most practitioners, when you talk to them, especially if they're in a setting where there's a team of people working together, know the adults to whom children gravitate. Know the adults who children nestle alongside to to have a conversation. Yeah. We also know the adults that they walk around and those adults are the ones who are busy doing something else, who go, oh lovely, as they're walking by, rather than getting down and stopping and saying, right now, I'm just going to listen to you. Wherever I was going, whatever I was going to do, I'm going to listen yeah. to you. Yeah. So listening yeah. will bring about much more talk than talking as an adult. 
Of course it's important to give children the language. We've said that already. So you have the power to give children the language they need to be good communicators. But the listening, and I go back to, is all about self-worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the child who yeah. believes they yeah. have something worth saying yeah. will start to say it, not just to you, but in the group, mm-hmm. or maybe in front of the whole class. So we're back to my, my twin things of self-worth and language yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. So unless you're a good listener, children don't get the chance to fill the available space. And being a good listener being, means being comfortable with silence. And there's a lot of us that aren't. You know, when we're thinking, we're quiet. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, there's huge gaps on this tape. But it's when I'm thinking. And in order to work out what you want to say, you need somebody else to be quiet. And if you were jumping in with the next question, I wouldn't have a chance to think, have I finished? Is there something else I'd like to say? So the best practitioners allow silence because they know not only does it give the child a chance to think, Mm. actually it gives them a chance to think too. Mm. Do I think this child has finished? Do I think there's more to come? Do I think as a result of what they said that I might change what I was going to say next? The next thing is about tuning in to children. Again, there is a danger, particularly for teachers, particularly when they are responsible for 30 children, that in order to arrive at the learning outcomes they want, that children spend more time tuning into them and what they want then perhaps the teacher spends tuning into the child and what mm-hmm. they want. So again, this is about the balance between child-led mm-hmm. and adult-led. Mm-hmm. If learning is adult-led, then yes, sometimes we do want children to tune in to what it is that we want, to the focus that we want them to have, to the strategies that we might want them yeah. to learn. Yeah. But when that learning, when we have said that that learning belongs to you, that you can decide, that you can direct what happens, mm. then we mm. have to tune into mm. them. And that's mm. hard. Because working out what a child is trying to work out, especially if their language yeah. is not that good, yeah. or when they don't want to talk to us because they're busy thinking and doing, then that is the huge challenge <coughs> of the role. And this leads me to perhaps to the last thing, which is pertinent in year one. This business about the clarity about who leads the learning. Because if you have a plan, then you are palpably leading the learning. And what you are hoping for is that children will follow that lead. That they will tune into however you're presenting it, however you want them to be involved in it. But ultimately, you want them to follow your lead in order to end up where your objectives have said that they will. In child-led learning, the child is, as it says, leading the learning. And your great skill is to follow that. And you won't follow it if you just dive straight in with the, what are you doing and what Uh colour is that and Uh how many and why didn't you do it like that? So again, the silence is golden. And I have this little mantra that's in the book that says, wait and watch and wonder. And the wait 
tells us to put our brakes on. That's it. I've, I've got to stop because something's already happening. And if I ball straight in, I'm not respecting what's already mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. I need to watch and I need to listen. And by that watching and listening, I can then answer the question that comes from wondering. And the wonder is, if I open my mouth now, will it help? Mm -hmm. Because timing is all. If children are deeply engaged and involved in what they're doing, to my mind, they're already having a conversation. They're already talking to the stuff. They're already talking to the resources that you've set up in the spaces that you've provided. And you should just say, that's great. They're learning exactly in the ways that I wanted them to. They're learning exactly what I thought they would. I'm going to leave them to just engage, to just have those internal conversations with the environment. Mm. And you can see when they kind of emerge from that and when they're ready to then explain to you what happened when they, or why they didn't, or how they did. But they can't have two conversations at once. So the skill mm. is in saying, mm. is now, is mm. now mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. If I mm -hmm. open my mouth mm -hmm. now, will it help? Well, it is, as we've already identified, much harder than people give it credit for. And that's the bit that I would want to get across to anybody who hasn't actually worked with these children is to respect it and not patronise mm. it mm. or not to imagine mm. for a minute mm. that it's easy. Absolutely, yes. So I think I'm just going to finish um, by focusing in on, on reception. Is there anything you can add to what you've already said about, I guess, the complexities in terms of how a teacher or a practitioner or a leader might structure or organise their reception day? The joy of being a reception teacher is that you are still in the EYFS and that your prime vision statement, if you like, is the unique child. And whilst we still have that powerful statement in the statutory part of children's experience, then from that everything else comes. Yes. So if every child is unique, it means we have to be flexible to give them opportunities in the day where every single one of them can shine and thrive. Yes. So if we don't have a balance in the day between the adult-led and the child-led agenda, we won't ever know where a child is at their strongest, where a child would choose to say, look what I can do, this is who I am, this is what I value. So it's not just for children that they need this appropriate balance. It's for us too to get to know our children so well wow. that we can say, this is what that, this child is best at. Come and see this child when they're building a den, when they're organising some play. Yes. As opposed to just, yes. these are mine more able when it comes to the more formal literacy yeah. or numeracy yeah. agenda. So I'm back to the fact that I would want every child to leave reception, every child, still saying, yeah. yes, I can, yeah. still being Bob the Builder, and still believing in their worth as a learner. This is the end of our second PedPod conversation with Julie. 
Like me, I'm sure that you've been captivated by her passion for the early years. You can find out more about Julie's work in her books and on our Early Education website, www.early-education.org.uk. Thanks for listening.